0: Welcome, everyone, to the Defenders Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello,
1: Pete. His name is Matthew. The Defenders Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Episode 106, Ashes, Ashes. It's brought to you by the Victor Phonograph Company. Proudly introducing our new recording disc, guaranteed to last several lifetimes. Just don't bend them, it'll be ruined forever
0: well done pete and well done to those who already know and i'm about to talk about but we wanted to officially on the podcast mention right here at the top that we are running a little uh, a little contest for those who leave a uh, review for us on itunes you will be entered to win what pete
1: You will be entered to win your very own Funko Pop Daredevil Masked Vigilante. Say that three times fast. Uh, That we will be drawing on the Tuesday, September 12th, Episode 108, Defenders Finale. Uh, So get your review in before then. Send us an email if you wouldn't mind as well. uh, Just letting us know that it's there so we can catch it. We've gotten a number of respondents so far. uh, And you can double up entries, can't you, Matt? You sure can. You can
0: leave a review on the uh, Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek page on iTunes and the Pop Culture podcast, uh, which, of course, simulcasts all our Defenders stuff. So, Pete, two opportunities to win. And as you said, an email or it could be a it could be a tweet. It could be a direct message. It could be a Facebook booking face uh, just to kind of be able to match up your iTunes name to uh, who you are. So that way, when you win, we can have let you know ahead of time. That way, that way. Fake pretenders don't come in and and try and swipe away your Funko Pop.
1: No pretenders with our defenders.
0: That is slick, Pete. While we are speaking about the Pop Culture Podcast, I just want to also mention that we, of course, in the last week, went to go see uh, the Inhumans IMAX release, and uh, we had some things and some stuff to say about it. And that's uh, that's all over there ahead of uh, us, of course, podcasting Inhumans when that hits ABC at the end of this month.
1: Yeah, we put this together a special dinner with the Inhumans, uh, given that it is a different form of the show that uh, showed uh, in IMAX and, and still available in IMAX, uh, but it's actually 10 minutes shorter than will air on uh, Friday, September 29th.
0: Pete, you said shorter. Surely you meant that it's longer the thing you have to pay for in IMAX.
1: It's just another one of the things we talked about in <laughs> that dinner with the Inhumans. Uh, so check it out today.
0: And I guess the last thing to mention, Pete, since it is September, it is finally uh, the month in which Star Trek Discovery will launch. So if you're listening to this on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, you'll be getting those uh, those episodes as we, as we podcast them. If you're listening to this on the Defenders feed, you could uh, either subscribe to the Pop Culture feed or uh, to the Star Trek Discovery feed, which is Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek.
1: And we're going to have a nice little giveaway for several fans with that podcast. So if you're a fan of Star Trek, get over there to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek.
0: Well, Pete, I'm a fan of getting this episode underway because I don't know what happens after this episode. and I'm at the edge of my seat. So shall we begin? Absolutely.
1: Let's crack open the case files to see what our defenders had on the docket in this episode we begin matt with the phonograph playing the uh soaring music in the background and a rather forlorn looking alexandra perhaps sensing that her time is even more limited
0: yeah, I mean Sigourney Weaver in this scene is giving some of her best performances of the miniseries. Acting with action is one thing, but acting with inaction to show sorrow, regret, reflection, loss, maybe even depression, that is a professional's professional.
1: I particularly enjoyed uh right before the record starts to skip, we see her through There's a a bottle or some glass object uh, in the foreground, which uh, just gives the image a a lovely, complicated nature. But uh, she's got the scratch on the record here. She looks at it. It's kind of (sighs) bent. Things break, Matt.
0: Side note, Pete, I wonder how many of our listeners remember records and how many do not. Because I was looking at it going, I mean, obviously the, the old timey gramophone is from well before my time, but I remember records from my from my youth.
1: We used to love to play records at the faster speed, so everything sounded like the chipmunks.
0: And of course, Pete, something for another podcast is your time spinning records, scratching. You know, <laughs> DJing, but that that's a story for another another time entirely. Pete, let's cut to Sawande's cut head.
1: Yeah. Rather uh, graphic image to uh to open up on there. But uh given the way that this scene is going to unfold probably makes the most sense.
0: It is, and it's a reminder of the the uh price that our defenders or at least stick insofar as stick is representing the defenders uh the price that they have just uh just paid um it also is a reminder that uh of course stick has just killed sawande we have a little bit of recap going on in this scene Uh, there is no chance of keeping him alive especially now that tidy recap Iron Fist is the literal key. Jessica Jones says, wait, I thought that was a metaphor. Luke Cage says, wait, a key to open something up. Pete, are you clear it's a real key that we can expect for people like me who have yet to see the next two episodes? That there, <laughs> there's going to be a fist-shaped hole in a lock that they're going to put his hand into, and it's going to literally unlock a door lock something. Are you clear to,
1: from this scene? He has to light it up, right? He has to light up the lock.
0: That's... Th- that certainly is the visual I'm expecting. You're not going to have uh, Finn Jones just stand there with his, you know, hand in a hole, um, <laughs> and and things happen, you know. But are we clear? It's a key. It's a literal key.
1: It's true. And uh, what's referenced here, although not concretely explained, the idea that um, the monks use iron fist chi. Uh, to do things other than fight. We, of course, having watched Iron Fist, have seen Danny heal himself uh, with the the chi that he was taught by Bakudo.
0: Well, that kind of runs parallel to what Stick has heard, stories of the fist being used to seal things and open them, just in case we weren't clear about the whole key thing. Um, And it made me actually wonder at this point, Pete, there's so much kind of – it's not over the top, but there's so much restatement going on in this scene. I had wondered to what degree does Netflix, which paints itself as very, very hands-off in the, uh, you know, kind of in the creative department, at what point did they share the teensiest little bit of data with the producers and go, you know, you're two-thirds of the way through. And this is the point where people who started on the first day might have peeled themselves off and they're coming back a day, a week later – you know, have some recap in the first five minutes there, just so everybody keeps on going. But oh,
1: I definitely think it's a discussion given the metrics that they keep. I think that good TV also tends to do that organically.
0: Absolutely, and it's it. You know, though we though we are not watching these episodes one after another after another. Obviously, the the magnifying glass that we're putting on them, we're remembering things where if you're just sitting there with your you know bucket of popcorn watching one a day, one a week several on the weekend you know it still might slide by so making sure everybody knows what's going on is a good thing it is at this point pete that our heroes start to circle iron fist treating him like pete kind of like this annoying brat that some podcasters used to see him as won't name any names um but the urgency of the scene is upped if alexander gets him all is lost
1: hey calm down there matt
0: (laughs) uh (laughs) Indeed, there's lots of calm down. You calm down. Um, Danny is calling for action, by the way. He does so with gusto. Side note, I just want to mention that in this scene, his American accent is truly flawless. It is in general. There haven't been any moments where it kind of sounds phony. But with with him being so forceful, I don't know, Just it sounded spot on. Um, and he sees that he has no allies in the room, so he's ready to, to walk. And uh, he's about to walk out on the great line that he has lost one city already. He doesn't want to lose another.
1: But this scene brings up an interesting question. If you discovered you were the key to something terrible happening, would you face it? Would you lay low? Would you allow people to hide you? And it's a real dilemma for Danny, given what everyone else here thinks about it
0: well i think it's 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 a good bit of writing for the character because he is so earnest and so almost childlike in his direct approach of you know i have powers i'll use them to go fight the bad guys we've seen that come back a little bit you know he goes to middle and circle in a suit uh not using his uh you know not with the intention of using his fist um but to me it's in line with the character that he is where he hasn't known the um you know he hasn't been through the grind that Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock and Luke Cage have been through so he he really does genuinely feel guys we just work together we can you know yes I'm the key but I can we we can attack him head-on and everything will be okay
1: I mean you you brought them together at the very end of episode 103 here we are in 106 and We're we're pulling them apart at this point. It's a natural uh, progression um, in in an eight-part miniseries. But uh, damn if this fight wasn't uh, pretty well done.
0: Oh, it's a fantastic fight. We see the reserved Jessica Jones starting out on the sidelines until Danny shoves her. Then it becomes a proper fight. Uh, Danny splits spits blood for real, you know, at least the actor for real, spitting fake blood. Uh, and then his fist glows when he hits Luke. Pete, it almost sounds like a Death Star wave in all directions. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's that's new, right? The Death Star
1: Wave or the 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 punch that uh Iron Fist threw.
0: The punch that that has an impact wave of 365 degrees, and for those who have super hearing, you know causes them pain in the ears
1: he's never thrown one seemingly this massive i mean there was the big one that he did down into the floor of the um the rand building um but he's never torn apart uh, you know a decrepit theater like this before well
0: the fight is finally ended when jessica jones punches him uh and there's a great 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 overhead shot Shortly after he's been punched, you know, as he's received the punch of Finn Jones, no stuntman here, Finn Jones falling to the concrete. It's a really, really great overhead shot. At that point, Pete, we head to the title card. Uh, This episode is written by Drew Goddard and Marco Ramirez. So I know that we had uh, we discussed uh, Drew Goddard's involvement in uh, Daredevil and whatnot. So good to see or lack thereof, since he had left it uh, early on in season one. So good to see him here with the writing credit. And Pete, this episode directed by Steven Sergic, director of one forthcoming Punisher episode, and Iron Fist, a Luke Cage, two Jessica Joneses, three Daredevils. It's the Defenders hat trick.
1: And I was going to say, that's a full house, man, or, or a royal flush. That's more than a hat trick.
0: <laughs> well, since I've been keeping track of directors for the duration of Defenders, this is certainly the first time I'm aware of somebody who has done Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil. Uh, I'm not saying it
1: certainly comes across that way.
0: uh, Pete, I'll add one more to that list. He also directed 1993's Wayne's World 2. Party on, Pete.
1: Party on, Matt. Partying on uh, are Luke and Jess as they're bringing an unconscious Danny into some partially under-constructed building here. That I couldn't help but notice a little later in the episode, Matt. Uh, there is a half-eaten apple jammed into the wall.
0: Yes, I saw that too. I, I dare say it was slightly distracting, but it also—I just imagined the life of it. You know that there was this construction guy, and he.
1: he but stuck it's the it's apple. like rawly half-eaten. That that thing would have been brown, man. Like, <laughs> it it totally took me out of it. Too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: ah the things that show up in hd um i'll mention too Pete. you you described it as another building i think it's only clear later in the episode that this is quite connected to the theater although obviously it's this looks in construction where the theater looks in demolition i mean frankly it's probably two locations that through editing they're stitching together but whatever um There's a quick character catch-up at this point as uh, Jessica and Luke are making their way uh, with, of course, Danny over Luke's shoulder. It's nice that they get to talk again, though each reminds the other that they could have called.
1: Yeah, and by the time that they wind up with Matt and Stick, uh, the discussion quickly turns to Midland Circle, and now it's plot catch-up, you know... Midland Circle, Midland Circle Financial, the place where the gigantic hole was in Daredevil Season 2.
0: Yeah, it's funny how both times I saw this episode, this clearly was a scene where, you know, in the writer's room, they said, catch up scene to remind everybody about this and that and the other. And you can kind of see it happening, but it doesn't feel it feels very organic, despite the fact that it's there to service the audience. So so hats off to them there. And by the way, Pete, I do have to take you to task here. You mentioned Midland Circle. You didn't mention who else was there. Why, why, are you tra- why are you lying to us, Pete? Who else was there <laughs> other than Daredevil? Electra. <laughs> Side note, I don't fault Jessica Jones for being angry at Matt not mentioning Electra. But like, at what point is Matt just going to come clean and just mention... Like, You've already gotten yelled at once for not mentioning her. Just start to mention her in all the spots where she appeared. Um,
1: I think he should just preface everything. He should be that annoying person in a relationship. Like, and then I was here with Electra and then Electra and I did this and then we did this that way, you know, they could just be like, all right, we get it. You know, we gave you a hard time about it. And now you don't need to tell us about that time that you ate in a diner and she stole your French fries.
0: Maybe they should come up with like their own, their own hashtag, like notch doc or something like that so you can you can keep track on social media of the happy couple all the time
1: (laughs) it might be a little much matt
0: uh anyhow as this conversation starts to wrap up there's kind of a connection of the dots here um if all of this is going on at midland circle how can we find out more about the building we would need information from the architect which jessica jones says in present tense because it's probably not efficient narratively for her to say and the architect is dead he killed himself in front of me
1: but we still have people connected to the architect that uh, we can get information oh. from look I at can't,
0: that i can't tell you how proud i was to have called that ahead of time anyhow pete elsewhere we flash back to good electra or i don't know i i have some thoughts and some feelings about good electra not actually having ever been that good but better electra um or Electra Life one uh sleeping on Matt's couch Electrolite Electrolite yes um she's sleeping on Matt's couch or not sleeping because he can tell that she's awake this is a scene that's warmly lit there's a tight focus on them showing the love that they once had and Pete I just want to mention she's also in a tank top and I don't mention that to be ungentlemanly I do mention it because it's a nice contrast when she wakes up in the present day neck to toes in black with some few accents in red there
1: this would have worked better in the previous episode i feel in general for viewership to get it in this episode one yes you know it's a flashback but the the heavy lifting of showing this then showing her waking up after she sees the daredevil trunk with the gear in it and then having seen the trunk the previous episode closed i yeah i my my criticism stands
0: i'm going to disagree and here's why had the last episode ended with her entering the apartment creeping around falling asleep in his bed, curling up a uh, fetal position. And at some point in that you intercut to this flashback where things are good and things are happy. Then you would end on the note of, oh, there's still good in her. And I'm leaving this episode with the taste of there's good in her. Whereas with this episode, you start things going, you have this flashback where you say, oh, she used to be good once. And then when she wakes up, there's kind of the whiff of goodness to her, but it, the episode's not making a promise that it it would suggest at the end of an episode where it's you know and we end with the good in her instead it's we're kind of pulled in different directions indeed i think we're being uh artfully misdirected here with the with kind of the, the notion that she still might care for him uh although i guess you could argue she does we'll get to that when we get there but i like it here i like it here because it doesn't make a promise the way it would have at the end of last episode
1: in the crate there she does not find matt's gear because he's wearing it uh but she finds a book uh with braille in addition to the prayer card from her funeral
0: pete it even mentions where her grave is something tells me we're gonna have a scene there (laughs) before too long back though we go to stick who's getting a box ready for sawande's head Uh, Luke shows up and says that Danny is still squared away. Uh, At this point, there's some plot knitting together. So, on day's cleaning crew was cleaning up uh, the last of the the, the, after having somebody had killed the last of the chase chased. So that's the cleaning crew that we saw, you know, Luke track and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And uh, six stick says that he's going to be cleaning up this body, but doesn't want to share too much, uh, which Luke says is okay, and he walks away.
1: Yeah. And we finally get some connection as far as exposition is con- uh, concerned between those people uh, who had been massacred and were being tended to by Cole and the other people, of the cleanup crew and stick. I mean, yes, it was a two plus two of. There's uh, blood Then he was seen with Alexandra, but now we definitively know he was with them and that was the last of them.
0: Back at Matt's present-day apartment, still beat up. Uh, He is changing to a suit. He apologizes about the mess. Uh, Jessica shrugs it off. You should see my place. Um, I I like that we have some kind of backward catch-up here. Does Matt work from home? He says he used to have a partner and an office. Now he doesn't.
1: It's I had a, a little bit of a problem with this scene coming right after Electra was in there. Show us her leave. Show us them enter, and she's not there. I mean, conceivably, she's there, and Jessica Jones is walking around, and uh, you know she's talking to Matt.
0: I would. This is just a gut intuition here. I think A, your concern, 100% valid. It wouldn't surprise me if they filmed that. And then maybe in an edit, they said, this episode feels slow, particularly since we're spending approximately the first third in very acceptable and organic ways doing recap, catch up, info sharing, info dump type stuff. We need to speed things up here. And maybe the discussion was, we don't need to show her leave. The fact that the two of them don't get their heads chopped off and leave the apartment themselves, that gets the information that gets the point of the scene across. That said, it's a pleasant enough scene. I you know, I love Jessica Jones. I love Matt Murdock. What does this scene give us? I mean, it gives us him changing into a suit. Okay, what's the other purpose of this scene?
1: I, I it, liked a little bit of the characterization that, uh, okay, it's a spacious apartment, and she points that out. Oh, yeah, there's a neon sign across the way. Doesn't bother a blind person then that he cracks a joke given you know the fight they got in with uh you know someone who is a weapon slash key uh a couple scenes before really kind of smooths it out as well so i i think it's a little bit of backwards exposition at the same time it's a buffer between what we've had before and and where they're going fair
0: enough and where we go is back to midland circle where the fingers have received Sawande's head. So the fingers of the hand have the head. Uh, Alexandra notes that his loss will be felt throughout the organization and uh, I guess reminds us that he's been with them since they left Kunlun. There are long faces and sadness at the fact that they all have lost their brother, but Alexandra reminds them that they have all tried to kill each other over the, the centuries, if not more. So let's put away the alligator tears and show unity.
1: Yeah, confronted with their mortality here, obviously they're upset, but at the same time manipulating one another as they have. Gao led a revolution against uh, Bakudo and vice versa. Um, the idea that they've all tried to assassinate and marginalize one another. Uh, love how the cam camera settles in a couple times on Madame Gao. <laughs> Particularly delicious.
0: It is, and it was only on second viewing as the scene unfolds. and There's discussion of how the group had unity before Black Sky came along, and Alexandra saying Black Sky isn't around here because I, I worry that she would would feel your uh, your your lack of loyalty, Murakami, and she might just kill you on instinct. And it's on second viewing when you see just a quick shot of Gao. She kind of turns her head. She's thinking for a moment, she's calculating the situation, and that's when she reaffirms the need for the, the, the group to come together to follow the flow sh- chart of leadership. Uh, we'll see in a little bit how she doesn't completely buy into that, but she kind of makes this concerted effort to be peacemaker in this scene.
1: She's the best kind of snake. She really is.
0: With that, we cut to Jessica and Matt walking to the, uh, the Architect's Brownstone I'll give a little recap about his background. Jessica believed that the architect was a good guy and, uh, at least for me, reframed the fact that he had explosives as a means to hit Midland Circle to stop, you know, he was going to do a bad thing to stop the worst people, whereas I think my initial viewing, kind of going chronologically through the episodes, was, oh, he's a bad guy who has bombing stuff because he's a bad guy who's going to do worse things.
1: We can only take it, obviously on what was seen, there was a bunch of explosives. Uh, this man committed suicide. He said, you're, you're not going to get what's in here. And he blew his brains out. So was that some kind of knowledge of a, a, a plan to bring it down that, that only he could know it, it remains to be seen at this point. Um, but this scene with them and the daughter and and what comes of it um i i think there are some issues
0: well it's it's interesting to hear you say that i certainly uh well i I felt vindicated when lexi the daughter uh is at the house mom's not there let's say he was paying the mom actress for the episode um she ends up letting them in once matt says that he's a lawyer and wants to help and uh, more on that in a bit, Pete. But let's, let's cut back to Alexandra popping pills like popcorn.
1: Yeah, and to see her continually uh, vulnerable, um, you know, we see her with the phonograph at the beginning of the episode. We've seen her take medicine before. She was clutching her side the previous episode. And to have Gao seize on this and uh, confront her about it, at least answer some of our questions from the previous episode.
0: Gao in this scene is sweet, reflective, thoughtful. Uh, she suggests that they get the band back together, keep the band back together, maybe without, you know, the black sky. Uh Gao ups the girl talk, saying that, quote, our brothers, while clumsy speak the truth, close quote, the implication being sister to sister. Let's just acknowledge that the Black Sky has not brought us closer to Iron Fist, the Substance, or Kunlun. Let's not get into another little civil war. And it's at this point that Alexandra points out that in the past, Gao was someone who had started another little civil war.
1: I I think they've all had a civil war against one another at some point in time. But to see the two demonstrably Asian members of... The, the fingers here, the, the top leadership, uh, confer as she's leaving. And for Gao to tell Murakami, you were right, the collusion continues.
0: It does. And it's, it's delicious to see how Gao has been so sweet and so caring uh, in with Alexandra. And then as soon as she hits the hall, you know, down to business, um, we head back to Danny, who awakens and pulls on his knot. As advertised by Stick in the previous scene, it's a restrictor knot. And it only tightens, not just on his hands but on his neck too. A wide shot reveals that Luke is there reading the New York Bolton. Tell you, Pete, for being the number six or number number seven <laughs> newspaper in the uh, in the city, our hero sure do read it a lot. Um, I love
1: that it's a tab too. It's, it's just uh, perfectly in keeping with the uh, the way that the series the series have worked
0: it's actually it's more to have a tabloid style newspaper is more photogenic for tv because you get yeah. a big headline big picture you know medium text box that if you hit pause it 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 works or if it accidentally ends up on camera it works so and also frankly you can hold it like a book so whatever the fake article is on the inside you know, just keep that away from the camera and you're you're good to go anyhow uh luke uh references the we of the group But Danny is incredulous. The we had fought against him. And then you get the reverse wide shot, which side note, there's some there's some interesting geography in how this particular scene in this space is presented. Uh, You're there's supposed to be this 180 degree line that you don't cross. So that way the audience keeps track of who's who and what's what we don't get that here. And further credit to the director because we can keep track of who's who and what's what. Because when we get this reverse wide shot, now looking down towards the door, Stick is in the background, out of focus. At first, he's not even moving, Pete. But then hes <laughs> you see him doing something, and it's a nice detail for things that will unfold a little bit.
1: Yeah, and then Luke is over at the one wall where there are holes punched in it, and there's that darn green apple.
0: <laughs> Taking us out of it. Um uh danny fights his bonds and luke laughs a bit uh danny however says that he sees things most clearly and at this point i have to say pete i was totally with danny i mean danny is right hello the team has been split up the city is at stake you know they're they're not working together against this common enemy danny's absolutely right that they've been you know i mean this isn't all done by the hand but the the suspicion that uh that that sawande referenced it's coming true
1: i think again using the trope of bringing a team together and then fracturing them it it can't just be hunky dory all the time um this is an interesting way to do it over what is uh you know danny's use other than as a weapon can he be this key can Can we trust him out there and look what ends up happening by the end of the episode?
0: There's a cooling between Danny and Luke as this scene progresses. Uh, Luke repeating some of the stuff that stick has said about how he's going to do the crane pose and centering his animal. Danny IDs it as anima, a different way of viewing the world. Then they start to kind of trade stories, punching the dragon uh, rocket launcher, shotguns, Jessica Jones, dragons, Pete, they're pals.
1: Yeah, all the while, Stick drinks a, um, a a little vial, and it doesn't immediately register as to what would be going on there. All right, is this a is this a chi anima energy drink? Come to find out later, it's some form of antidote.
0: Oh, you know what, Pete? I had not put two and two together. It's an antidote for against the knockout gas. Yep. Oh, there we go. Pete on the ball. Uh, at this point, uh, Luke, as the scene starts to wrap up, Luke, I wonder, Pete, if perhaps destined by the storyline from the comics, he notes that he and Jessica had a moment. And now they're on completely different paths, paths <laughs> that no way can come back together to anything approximating the comic book story, you know, in future seasons of Jessica Jones or Luke Cage.
1: I like funny Luke here. We don't get to see Mike Coulter play him. Uh, humorously enough, at least not yet. And, um, you know, as the, uh, you know, funny guy to Iron Fist's always earnest straight man, um, you know, when he when he's given the detail about the molten heart of Shao uh, Lao, the undying, the dragon, um, to have to come around and all right, tell me about the Molten Heart. I got hit by a rocket once, blah, blah, blah. And again, it's seeding things from those previous series that people are going to go back and watch him get hit by a a rocket and people are going to go back and want to see the fight with the dragon. And
0: yeah, perhaps the dragon fight wasn't wasn't quite as advertised but it's it's all good certainly room for season two look pete i'm enthusiastic for luke cage season two and jessica jones season two and iron fist season two it's it's all wonderful with that pete we head back to lexi's living room lexi is angry she is mournful she's saying that her father kept work and life separate for what good that did him pete i wish we had an illustrative story that lexi could really uh could really kind of relate with told by jessica jones but maybe something else that brings matt to the scene
1: thank goodness we have one
0: and what we get here is jessica telling the story of another father she recounts the story of jack murdoch matt's father uh the man who got into trouble and tried to stop uh at which point i was saying well wait how does she know that and it's a really handy way to essentially do I'm not just exposition for Lexi to hear. And it's a great reminder that, that Jack Murdoch was somebody who was in a similar situation. He was trying to do the right thing with the wrong people. Uh, but it sets up later how Jessica a- a- as private investigator has found out about Matt Murdoch, found out about his past and uh, it fits into a, a reference made later on of, you know, they should trust each other by knowing about each other. So it's win, win, win.
1: I like that. They didn't explain it there. It just happens. And then later they return to it. Like, hey, what was that about? How'd you know about my father? So it's it's clear it was indeed Battling Jack Burdock we were referring to while not using the name and not identifying Matt.
0: Elsewhere in the city, we are at Electra's gravestone and uh, Black Sky is there. So is Alexandra. Uh, they must have arrived very similar times, by the way, but Thus is the magic of television. Uh, Alexandra reiterates that it was the devil of Hell's Kitchen that let Electra die. By the way, Pete, that is a title that's growing on me. Um, (sighs) She also admits to her de facto daughter that she, Alexandra, is dying and has used up all the substance to bring back the black sky to be the de facto daughter, it is implied. So some really heavy kind of Freudian mommy, daddy, more mommy issues here.
1: I bet she regrets telling her they didn't have any more substance now.
0: Um, well, well, Pete, it's funny you should mention the substance because Black Sky reiterates, "We need more of this, or we shall die." The two of us, Mama, and Alexandra reiterates, "When this is over, the two of us will together serve life itself." Pete, they're yeah. going to be best friends forever and ever. This yeah. young, this young Black Sky, a daughter. Coming into her own as a woman, she shall never rebel against the mother figure here. Never. People don't need Uncle Owen and and Aunt Beru to be pulled down by stormtroopers in order to reach their full potential. It'll all be okay.
1: Are you aware of the fan theory that uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru were not killed by stormtroopers, but instead Boba Fett?
0: No, but I instantly love it.
1: One of the uh, more famous lines ever spoken to Boba Fett, Darth Vader tells him no disintegrations. And the bodies of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are skeletons. It's the only time that kind of damage is ever seen in the existing Star Wars movies. They are smoking. And uh, there is the discussion that Boba Fett was was on the trail there that he took them out it was not the Empire
0: well I'll do you one better while we're on this tangent for the scene here watching Star Wars on tape as I did as a boy and since that was uh, changed from widescreen to to full screen pan and scan it used to be on the tape version that you wouldn't see the bodies right away, and the, what they did in the edit for tape was to actually scan over to the ba-boom reveal that right. they're there. So it's essentially it's a cut to it, or it's a, it's, you're kind of forced to see it right when the music swells as opposed to a wider shot. The wider shot, the original shot, doesn't quite have the same oomph. Sorry, Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. With that, Pete, can you take us back to Danny's room of a thousand knots? Will Danny be able to focus his <laughs> chi through breathing?
1: Uh, Well, the discussion that he has with Stick about that certainly makes it a possibility.
0: It's at this point where Danny, so sensible, once again, hope you, you hear us, Donna. Look, I love Danny Rand. He's talking warrior to warrior to Stick. They're supposed to be on the same side, the same philosophy, the same worldview. They have a duty to win against the hand. Stick reminds Danny, however, that he is a survivor who is making things up as he goes along.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to hear Stick refer to himself in in such a way. Um, that and the discussion about the chi here between the the, the two warriors, um, but with Luke around again, effectively us as the everyman in the room. Um, it's, it's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, uh, non-understanding the, the clear motivation of stick
0: back. We go to Lexi's house where she recounts her father's slow decay, how he withdrew uh, as work consumed him and, uh, essentially was gone long before he died. Pete, he would even sit at the piano without playing.
1: Yeah. Uh, And the moment that's mentioned, I gotta ask here because I think it it works better than in our theory segment. Did did Matt sonar radar the uh, the the Midland Circle blueprints out of the piano before he went over there? It just seemed like so direct. It's either that.
0: Or it's complete story baloney. And the fact that he sits down and starts to play a song where he finds a sticky D what sharp.
1: So- what song does he start to play?
0: Pete, he starts to play the Defenders theme song on piano.
1: How does he know the Defenders theme song on piano? It's barely been out already. There's already a piano <laughs> uh, remix.
0: Well, that I don't know. But it's a brilliant moment where he's been playing the piano. And then the piano score continues from the on camera mm-hmm, playing. Mm-hmm. There's this effervescent keyboarding tune that shows hope. They start to add strings to it as it's revealed that there are indeed the plans hidden in the piano, plans for the building. No, not for the building, but what is at the bottom of the hole, what is under Midland Circle?
1: The Death Star.
0: The Death Star, indeed. It's all connected. Surprise everybody. Marvel and Star Wars all coming together. Pete, do you know any. And he recently purchased archaeologists who could maybe go down there and <laughs> and, and do battle with a big giant ball.
1: The death hand.
0: <laughs> Indiana Jones, man, with a time machine. Anyhow, back to Stick and Company. He's making something in one of those aluminum takeout things. Uh, stick is mildly worried about luke starting to like danny and luke is about to walk off but stick pulls him back in to talk about luke's time in prison and luke's powers luke says all he has to say he starts to walk off again stick pulls him back to tell about stick's own time in prison getting a purpose meeting the chase they talk about that stick is fiddling with the incense it's that it's at that point pete when luke finally talks about what is that that you're doing uh, the the smoke is starting to increase, and we see Danny's hand start to glow.
1: I had an uneasy feeling, and it it's true to TV form. The more you learn about a character's backstory, the more at risk they are. And here, for the first time, we're hearing that Stick was in the can, uh, just like Luke. And hey, don't get too close to him, you know, because I'm going to try to murder him in a minute so that his fist doesn't wind up in some kind of lock we need to keep shut.
0: To me, it certainly worked, uh, particularly on the second viewing where you realize Luke is trying to just end this conversation with the weird guy and how Stick keeps pulling him in, keep pulling him in. I think that some of the machinations that stick is using to keep Luke close to the incense, it would have worked slightly better if they didn't, uh, didn't then cut away to uh, back to Matt and Jessica Jones. But you know, it is what it is. Got to keep the pace up.
1: Yeah. And to follow up on that earlier discussion, as I said, where the, the stuff comes out about uh, Matt's dad That uh, Jessica shows to him she is highly proficient at her job, uh, at what she does. And then um, the nicest thing that she's ever said to Matt Murdock.
0: And what is that, Pete?
1: That they need to work together and trust one another.
0: Cut to people not trusting each other. Luke (laughs) asks what the smoke is. Stick wafts it in Luke's face. He's quickly overtaken by it. Stick says that there were uh, there were two choices: run or fight. And Stick has found a third option, uh, at, at which he raises his sword, implying the third option is to either cut off part or all of uh, of uh, Danny Rand. Uh, we have a quick cut outside. Matt hears it. He starts to run. Jessica follows. Back inside we go. Stick has the sword near Danny. He promises that he won't hurt him. We get some more Matt and Jessica uh, running and whatnot. And uh, at this point, Pete Stick is monologuing to Danny about how he hopes that he will see Kunlun today. And he's, he's ready to strike, Pete.
1: Yeah, that he was their weapon. And the uncertainty that he could be used against the chased against anyone Uh, Who is good by the hand is is too much. So got to take him out. I love how uh, Matt, you know, kind of spins his way up to the second level while Jessica is is going straight ahead. And um, as the monologuing continues, uh, that's when uh, Black Sky shows up.
0: And I like it for a moment because we do stick with Matt parkouring his way up. We kind of have lost track of Jessica momentarily when the dark haired gal stops stick from killing Danny Rand. There's a split second where you say, Oh, Jessica Jones has made it there, but no, no, it's black sky to save the day. Um, During the course of their fight, stick is stabbed, but won't take her out. Uh, Then he gets downed by her. And just as Matt arrives, She's ready to strike stick, but Matt is telling her that this isn't who she is. And and then Pete, she says, it's good to see him. And then uh, I dare say we see the end of stick.
1: Yeah. um, I particularly was caught up in how Danny was trying to evade the smoke. Um, And obviously they want it clear that he's uh, unconscious and able to be transported Uh, That his his fist, which is starting to light up, goes out and then to have him visible in the background, unconscious and Electra Black Sky take out stick uh, is particularly effective.
0: I know we've had people come back from the dead. Uh, but with the amount of blood coming out of uh, the the strike that Stick receives. And then there's a wide shot a little bit later in the scene where there's just a pool of blood. I dare say it's down and out for old Scott Glenn, but time will tell there. Uh, Pete, here's a rundown of the rest of the fight. Electra knocks Matt down, knocking him out. Then she fights with Jessica, knocking her out. Then she fights with Luke, who uses his arms to kind of spark up and block her, her strikes. Then she runs up the wall and knocks him out too so you have Matt Murdock knocked out Jessica Jones knocked out Luke Cage knocked out Iron Fist knocked out I dare say Electra wins the fight
1: and again in terms of beats we've brought them together we've torn them apart we've reunited them now we've seemingly defeated them and uh, split them up Uh, again so we're, we're right on pace as far as storytelling is concerned
0: Elsewhere, in a, in a greatly shot scene, Alexandra is eating, kind of somewhat facing toward camera. She sees someone from behind the camera, and her hand shakes just the slightest bit. It's a minor, minor detail. There's not a close-up. It's part of the wide shot. Uh, really, really nice. The camera turns to reveal that it's Murakami who's there to offer her a rare vintage of champagne. Uh, he shares some backstory with her. Between the two of them, they discuss how he had not wanted to leave Kunlun originally. He'd wanted to use his discoveries for pff, the powers of good and stuff.
1: Come on.
0: He seems conciliatory and kind. He pours some of that champagne like a champion. He even does the he, he, you know he, he you have to know Pete. You pull as I'm sure you do because you're a gentleman. You don't pull the cork out of the champagne bottle. You pull the champagne bottle from the cork. He does that very well as well. Um, and, uh, just as Alexander says that they should fight this war together, he adds that he wanted her last meal to be a good one.
1: Yeah. And she retorts that he came alone to face her. So obviously, uh, it's, it's about to go down here, Matt and, uh, the wolf line, the lone wolf, but he hunts wolf and then boom, uh, things change.
0: Indeed, the fight is called off. Elektra comes in with Iron Fist, still knocked out. Uh, And Alexandra notes to Murakami that she always wins, which is a cool line. Sigourney Weaver is awesome. Just want to point out that if you're keeping track of Alexandra and her baloney count, she was probably about to lose that fight before coincidentally Elektra came in.
1: I disagree. I, I see nothing uh that points to her losing that and again not having taken in the entire show yet matt who are you to say
0: Uh oh Uh, pete i don't know what that means i don't want to linger (laughs) on it too much um at this point the hand is all together in their special imperial meeting room they are standing opposite the tied up danny with electra and goons minding him Alexandra is happy in her victory Uh, she notes that they still just want to get back to Kunlun and that it's not destroyed Danny Rand saw it was destroyed and he saw what they wanted him to see or what he wanted to see side note Pete I saw the end of Iron Fist season one I didn't see it as destroyed I just thought that the road there was mystically gone and the city no longer appeared on our astral plane or whatever.
1: I think it was unclear based on the presentation. Was it was it moved away? Um, had it been taken out? It it was really kind of left open to your interpretation, almost like a, a Rorschach test. Ooh.
0: Well, Alexandra notes essentially that if Danny joins them, they can make Kunlun great again.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not touching that one.
0: <laughs> well, Danny says that he will never help. Um, but in what at least I would assume is Gourney Weaver's final scene. I don't know. As soon as we get done with this, I'm going to be watching the the next episode. Uh, he says that he will do, uh, she says rather that he, Danny, will do what everybody else does in the end. Serve her.
1: Yeah. And that's all in the direction that we would expect this to go. There's two more episodes left. They have what they need right? It's, it's all working in this nice, neat, tidy direction.
0: Absolutely and uh, uh, Alexandra says as much. They're ready to proceed as planned. Uh, Murakami does say, by the way, little has gone as planned. Uh, Gao, Murakami, and Bakuto squabble a bit, uh, focusing on getting more of the substance and this is when Alexandra tells a lecturer to kill Jessica Jones, kill Luke Cage, kill the devil of hell's kitchen, whoever he is, Thus, the implication being that she is dismissed from the scene. Alexandra then full-on villain-style monologues about her accomplishments. She kept everyone together. She kept the operation on track. She proved herself as the one and only leader. And it's at that point when Sigourney Weaver's eyeline turns from the rest of the hand and looks straight into camera as she is stuck from behind, leading to the first uh, un- unintentional gasp. I know I've mentioned gasping at the end of the episode. You go, oh man, the episode's over. This was like, "Huh." I in no way saw this coming, Pete.
1: I didn't at all. I was really, really stunned that they would do this. And particularly the way that she sells it comes across more graphic than it really is. Um, you know, you don't get any blood spurt on the screen or anything like that. Uh, She maintains her look at the screen and uh, a little bit of blood comes out of the corner Um, and then to have uh, Black Sky say that her name is Electra She's suddenly got the, the very ethnic accent again and that they work for her now before she slashes at the throat of the downed Alexandra spattering her face just to make it clear and see if there are any questions.
0: All right, everyone turn to your right. It's time for the lineup. Pete, let's start with Alexandra, who I, I, I well, we'll get to there in the theory segment, but Alexandra <laughs> in what might be her last episode.
1: I mean, the writing certainly on the wall to see her in the beginning with the phonograph, a reminder of her extreme age, of her, you know, time-honored appreciation for this music of amassing records that play on phonographs that are bent, an original, now worthless. Um, the the scene that stands out is uh, the one at Electra's grave for me um that really kind of foreshadowed what was coming um you you know you, you see her with murakami later and as much as i hoped they were going to fight i didn't see it happening and obviously it didn't um but sigourney weaver through six episodes you know has done everything you wanted to see her do in this role um Is it only going to be six? Well, we'll have to see.
0: That's why I got to be careful even on IMDB. You know, those episode counts (laughs) are are up front. I was looking up, I was about to look up the uh, actor who played Murakami and then I I quickly I realized, no, 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 I'm going to see things I don't want to see. Yeah, that scene by the grave is so, particularly in retrospect, it's so telling for Alexandra who has been treated like a child since her rebirth for her to... For her to grow up, you know the the older generation, symbolized by her de facto mother in Alexandra, the older generation must must move on. Uh, for it to be done so in, in, in such a uh, well, in such a, a vicious method, I think only speaks to the uh, only speaks to what we've seen in Black Sky, and I dare say, as we as we move to Black Sky as a villain in this episode, you know we've seen. I think that the the sadism and the bloodlust that was in Electra back in her, in her first life. Uh, And I think we see a return to that. And there's kind of the reminder, oh, she was always a disruptive, difficult force. And I'm not, Pete, I'm not saying I'm against disruptive women. Don't get me wrong. Let's, let's disrupt the system, man. But she was always somebody who was eager to cause trouble for the sake of trouble.
1: How much of your nature do you retain through this procedure, if it even is the same procedure that Harold Meacham went through, that Nobu went through, uh, that Alexandra's been through, um, is an interesting aspect. Pete,
0: are you saying that they should do a show, a Marvel show, (laughs) whose villain goes through this process and we get to see it kind of at a a close-up level? So that we can better understand it here, I mean, it, it it could work. Pete, that's Iron Fist season one.
1: It continues to get <laughs> redeemed. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, with Murakami, um, you know, though it's not overtly mentioned that that he's come back, um, you know, we've talked about the decision before to have him speak only Japanese. Um, the particularly calculating way that he works with Gao and against Alexandra in this episode, I found really compelling. Yeah, that was
0: another kind of behind the scenes thing, right? I found myself saying, wh- whose idea was this? Did somebody say, hey, this will help. This will help the show in Japan, which I, hey, that's fine by me. I got no problem with that. I can read subtitles. There's plenty of shows on Netflix that are not in English entirely, and and uh, I can handle subtitles. Was it purely a an artistic move? Was it, boy, we love this actor, he doesn't speak much English, or we want to get him nonetheless? Um, and again, I stopped my search because I didn't want to see, you know, and killed off in episode 107 in the most spectacular Marvel death yet or something like that. So um, it does make me wonder, but he is such a great presence. And for him in that dinner scene to go from... I mean, you buy that he's ready to bury the hatchet, to be conciliatory, to, to nod his hat to the the head of the group, to then putting on gloves, I mean, presumably the gloves with which he's going to beat the life from her, all in one scene to see the two facets of this guy. It is fantastic.
1: Bukudo doesn't get much to do in this episode. I don't even really recall him speaking. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, but uh his presence continues to loom, particularly in the confirmation for the group of the death of Sawande.
0: Well, I tell you this, if nothing else, he got he got credits in the title sequence. Um, so that's that's that you know, that beats some other people who have not ended up in that spot. Um Best of all, though, for me is uh, as we discussed earlier, we have the the Gao scene where she's you know kind of turns her head. She's analyzing the situation as it unfolds. I would even argue that in the reaction shot to Murakami, Bakudo, and Gao, after Alexandra has fallen, they're all doing an, a a wonderful acting job of shocked beyond shocked. She looks the most shocked. She looks the most like I I I buy the chaos of the moment in her face the most. And it's, it's just yet another wonderful performance out of a uh, Madden gal there.
1: What a year Y Ching Ho has had from being the, the big bad on iron fist and now being part of this massive and talented ensemble and right in the thick of it, as far as a, a force of evil, um, for for a seventy three year old woman, it's just a a tremendous career turn.
0: Absolutely, and of course, I mean, speaking of career turns, and people have been around for for forever. In what might be Stick's final episode, to see Scott Glenn, uh, who coincidentally just in this past week, uh, you know, pop on uh, Hunt for Red October, which has I mean, there's no end to the the packed cast that's there. Uh, he of course is the, uh, the captain of the American uh, submarine. I mean, A, it's a reminder how long he's been acting. B, it was almost shocking because he's been Stick for so long. I mean, granted, it's been two or three years. It hasn't been forever. But he feels so ensconced as Stick that to see him in other things, you go, oh, yeah, Scott Glenn has been around forever.
1: Yeah, and I got to tell you, seeing him stabbed through the chest there uh, certainly hurt. He's brought so much as a presence on Daredevil and, and here in several episodes of this series, you, you just hold out hope, particularly with the powers of the characters in the universe that they inhabit here, that there's some way he might come back around.
0: Well, Pete, making sure that we come back week after week, and indeed that we have the uh, the infrastructure to do so, those are the people on patreon.com slash fantastic helping keep the lights on, helping us keep continuing to dig down in our own middle and circle.
1: We are never on our last life with our listener supported podcast. So thank you again for all of the help, whether you're uh, contributing the, the bare minimum at a dollar you're going to get. Uh, exclusive podcast content, whether you're going to go to all sorts of finger hand levels to get the uh, the resurrection package, which I'm sure I'm going to regret that I've, I've floated just now.
0: Well, Pete, for one life or many lives, we are, of course, eternally grateful.
1: Time to map out where this train might be heading with some theories. Pete, here's my
0: first thought alexandra not dead her head not cleanly chopped off i say that she's gone for good and that the kill shot here yes it was done to make it clear to the audience but i think kind of done out of dignity towards the actress we don't need to have you know big rubber head and uh, you know tongue sticking out ned stark style to, to make it clear as far as i'm concerned we've you know i mean might her body appear or things of that sort in in early scenes of the next episode. I'll grant you that. I mean, heck, we saw that with, uh, with Cottonmouth and Luke Cage, but I think Alexandra is, uh, is kaput. Pete, they pulled the same trick two shows in a row where you kill off the main bad guy, six episodes in.
1: (laughs) I I don't know if we can ever until we're not seeing the actress or actor anymore show up on the show. And even then, uh, not be secure that that is indeed the end. So, um, you know, it, I'm going to hold out hope that somehow Alexandria comes back in some way, shape, or form.
0: Well, Pete, here's another theory that if excitement for the theater shows continues long enough, uh, and this is this is going way past Defenders, mind you, but I wonder if perhaps we're going to have the Luke Cage and Jessica Jones shows merge in the future, perhaps something titled Luke Cage and Jessica Jones or Jessica Jones and Luke Cage if indeed their characters do reconnect at some point uh, much as they did in the comics and they reconnected in just about the biggest way you can reconnect
1: I mean that's certainly something that fans have looked for there's that rich history between the two of them and they've had a child and everything else in the comics I think it's a question of how soon you go there. They've paired Luke up with Claire. Jessica's kind of off on her own. Um, that being said, you've, you've had a, a Matt Murdock, uh Claire romance before Matt's connected with every other woman. It seems on the show with the exception of Jessica. Um, so, Yeah, I I think it's certainly something they can go to. I just am kind of glad that they don't feel like they have to go there just yet because of the strength of each of those shows for seasons. Not like, all right, let's let's bring Misty Knight into season two of Daredevil or Daredevil of Iron Fist, you know, because stuff
0: Yeah, slow and steady wins the race, particularly if if they're looking to pace future seasons of these shows. Um, I mean, whether it's the one is uh, second lead on the other show, as we saw with Mike Coulter in the first season of Jessica Jones, uh, or other kind of novel ways to do it. It'll be interesting to see. I mean... I guess if phase one took us to the defenders, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we can use phase one, if that's not going to upset, you know, the Marvel film people, um, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold now that the defenders have come together. now that the, the mini series is, uh, is done with, well, not, not done with for us, but you know, now that they've created the mini series,
1: let's talk about Midland circle, Matt, and the fact that the plans for it, this whole, also details 30 stories deep, a perfect dome.
0: Well, I tie that up pretty directly to uh, episode 102, 103, where uh, Alexandra is getting the private music performance and uh, they found the thing, says Madame Gao, but there's a wall blocking it. Uh, I would assume that this is the thing that that we've been dancing around for, well, since Daredevil season two and certainly have been increasing the dance around this season, Pete, we better get back to the whole Midland circle and get down to the thing in the next two episodes. Otherwise, like, you know, what is this? The killing where we're going to stretch it out.
1: Madam Gao says to Alexandra that the black sky was always her prophecy and her vision, which I think was particularly interesting to hear. And then to have her seemingly kill her as a real, uh, you know, sharp edge <laughs> to that point
0: <laughs> i think certainly um if the rest of the group feels that this this deviation to to black sky has indeed been a deviation and not something that they were necessarily on board with other than giving their implicit okay to the person who's in charge um to them there would be no surprise that this has gone off the rails to the point that the uh you know the, that the monster has killed the creator here's what our detectives picked up in the episode pete what
1: do you have we have our first review on the defenders podcast by fantastic geek on itunes and it was left by the aforementioned uh donna marie rosado that's uh crescent moon 621 the headline is best podcast around five stars And then it reads, Matt and Pete are the best podcasters around. I appreciate their ability to reference something from Daredevil Season 1 that pertains to the Defenders. Sometimes you forget a small point, but they bring it all together for you. They'll tell you the good and the bad about all Marvel shows. If you're looking for a great podcast with a detailed recap before the analysis, these are the guys for you.
0: Ah, uh, certainly kind words there. Thank you, Donna, for uh, for saying such wonderful things. We definitely, definitely appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Over on Facebook, Matt John Stewart writes in to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, and he says, Without spoiling things past episode five, I think I can give my explanation for the resurrection stuff. I think that the hand has at least three forms of resurrection. They have the one that they use on the Fingers and the Black Sky, but it's a very limited resource. When they come back, they are pretty much as they were before. Then they have the one they use on people like Nobu and Harold Meacham. It can work multiple times, but every time the someone comes back, they're less themselves and more evil, especially prone to harming those close to themselves. I get the impression that this is expensive to use, but less scarce than the stuff the fingers get. Finally, there is whatever they do with the ninjas. It's not so expensive that they wouldn't use it on people who have the job of risking death to perpetuate the hand, but it only works once, and those brought back with it remain horribly scarred and are maybe just high performance zombies
0: that fits every scenario that we have seen perfectly and kind of on my periphery in watching this episode and podcasting it it was in the back of my head where I couldn't square it how it is that the five fingers of the hand now four now three it seems um were so stable whereas we see we saw Harold Meacham You know, when we first met him in uh, Iron Fist, let's say leaving out flashbacks for a moment, he had come back the once from cancer and then we saw him die and he came back. So it was now the second time he was on his third life. And he was drastically different in the third life compared to the relative stability of the second one and certainly the kind of worldliness of his first life. Um, We have seen nothing of that with these uh, five high class members of the hand that are not complete crazy people um maybe they're crazy in a different way but certainly they have their faculties
1: i mean we have scars on electra so is it something that with time with you know the the platinum resurrection package (laughs) those those go away and you know if if you're you know, sitting in the the back rows at at the Resurrection Convention, and you know, you're you're just happy to be there. You know, you don't you don't get the the platinum package. You don't get all those benefits. I I don't know. It's an interesting aspect to uh, consider, um, particularly the way that we watched Harold and um, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with multiple deaths, uh, you know, lose more of his marbles. I,
0: I dare say that, uh, that John's theory fits the circumstances better than, oh, they weren't keeping track of what they were doing. And in, in, in Iron Fist, they needed him to go crazy. And in Defenders, they needed them stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if in the background they had such a theory or if, Perhaps it came together as they realized, "Oh, Harold Mutchin was one way. We need people to be different." But it's one hundred percent plausible I, to me. That's that's canon moving forward, unless we uh, unless we get more information. It just it works perfectly. Well, Pete, people have been in touch with us. How can people be in touch with you on the Twitter?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R 9,437 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek, Fantastic with the P and the H, FantasticGeek.com, FantasticGeek at gmail.com, Fantastic Geek on Instagram and Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more
1: facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word and with defenders summing up here with inhumans starting and then stopping and then starting again and star trek discovery coming down the pipe it's certainly someplace you want to be able to interact with us
0: well we have inhumans who live amongst the stars on the moon we have star trek discovery takes place amongst the stars up in space We also have the other space show that we will be live tweeting, though not uh, podcasting in the Orville. So if you're going to be watching that on Fox uh, this upcoming Sunday, I hope hope to see you on the Twitter there for that. With that, Pete, I think that covers all our bases. We will be back on Friday for episode 107 of The Defenders. I can't believe we are at the penultimate episode already. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word.
1: Any questions? Thank mm-hmm. you.